Welcome to the EFC Podcast. My name is Karen Stiller. Sharon Ramsey is our guest today, and she is a registered psychotherapist, marriage, and family therapist in Toronto. She works with individuals, couples, and families in a variety of settings, and her work focuses on how context influences our ability to survive and thrive through the unexpected and surprising rhythms of life. Sharon, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. Okay, first of all, what does surviving and thriving through the surprising rhythms of life actually mean? I get the surprising rhythms of life part, but tell me about surviving and thriving. Um, So it seems to me from my clinical work that there is a presumption that things should be easy. And naturally, when things go according to plan and we're all excited, we somehow manage to get on the other side and it's nope, it's not a problem, it's a breeze. However, it seems to me that not all the rhythms of life are easily navigated. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can be really, really thrown for a loop by what's going on in our lives. So in my work, what I try to do is not just help someone get to the other side, but to learn from each experience, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, what what do they learn about their own selves in terms of resilience, in terms of reaching out for support, in terms of their ability just to put their head down and go for it, or the times when they have to sort of take a break. I think that being able to pay attention to these rhythms, our own capacity for change and adaptation is important to allow us to make the best of the moments we do have in our life. So would a rhythm, a, the surprising rhythms of life, would that, that mm-hmm. does that mean like a big change? Does it mean a tragedy or is it just also the small, ordinary things? I think it is both. I mean, okay. I certainly, um, we can anticipate that, We will encounter death, someone that we love. Um, We can anticipate that there may be a move or a job change or all kinds of things that we anticipate. And then there are the other things that are surprising. We don't anticipate um, maybe a marital breakdown. Mm -hmm. We don't anticipate a child who is really struggling in school quite beyond an inability to wake up in the morning. Um, we may find ourselves in a really difficult period of employment and the usual things that we would do don't work. Okay. So then what do you do? So that's what I mean by these rhythms of life, that these are not unusual things. Yeah. It's just that we don't always anticipate them impacting us. Okay. Cause we think we're more, maybe some of us <laughs> think we're more, <laughs> you know, together or stronger that we can kind of weather anything without help them. Sure. Or that certain things only happen to certain people. Okay. Right. Um, And that is not always true. (laughs) I was thinking maybe that could be especially true, or maybe a Christian could be especially vulnerable to that idea that certain things will not occur in their life, like a marital breakdown, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or a mental illness. Okay. Um, And I think, you know, we, when I think about my own Um, upbringing, you sort of think if you do all the right things, Mm -hmm. you should have the good life. Um, But I'm just not certain that the promise of scripture is that if you do all the right things, you won't face any adversity. Right. Right. So sometimes adversity crawls up on us and we think, okay, yeah, I got this. And there can be, um, to quote the book, a series of unfortunate events that can actually be quite taxing on us. And so how do you manage when you feel quite depleted and defeated? Yes. 
Okay, I heard you speak recently, Sharon, at a Canadian church press conference, and you said something that I'm actually still pondering. And in some ways, it bothers me that it <laughs> bothered me so much, because it shows <laughs> me so I do not have this figured out. Um, mm. But you said that self care was not about getting ready for the next task. And mm -hmm. I when you said that, I realized, oh, well, that's exactly what I think it's about. So can you explain to me and everyone like me what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, so so it seems to me, I'm going to use a cliche and then I'll move on. It seems to me that we are human beings, but often we respond to life like human doings, ah. that it's just a series of tasks and do this and do that and do the other. So self-care for me is not just about getting ready for, oh, I have a sermon to preach, a class to teach, kids to pick up all these doings. Self-care is about how do I, I use myself, how do I prepare maybe on a daily basis, moment by moment, week by week to live life well? Okay. I, re I remember when I was in university that I could certainly pull a number of all-nighters and I'd be fine, right? It could be a week of all-nighters and it's still okay. Um, I realize now that if I don't get sufficient sleep, as the norm, I don't function well. I don't think well. So when I say that self-care is not um, just about getting ready for a task, I think that self-care is an ongoing discipline of attention and addressing issues and trying it out that enables us to face life, whatever the day brings, the week brings, the month brings, as well as we can. Okay. So it's long-term, not yeah. episodic. Absolutely. It's an ongoing thing. Like you wouldn't, if you think about brushing your teeth, you wouldn't just brush your teeth the night before you go to the dentist and expect things to be all well, mm -hmm. right? But our dental hygiene is an ongoing part of our lives. I would say the same is true for self-care. Now, sometimes we have moments where we are extremely resilient and we don't, we don't really pay attention to it. But boy, oh boy, when you get stopped in your tracks by fatigue okay. or you name it, all of a sudden we start to look at, well, how did I get here? Because it wasn't like this. And then, oh, <laughs> oh, maybe I was cutting corners. Maybe I've gone through a really, really rough patch. And there would have been a time when I could have rolled with that. But now I'm just too crispy, too okay. brittle. Okay. And de depleted is the word that comes into my mind. Yes. Um, let's talk about spiritual leaders specifically and how they can keep emotionally and spiritually healthy. So when we're talking about pastors or church leaders, mm -hmm. it feels like that is a special category. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Well, I think there are some special things about being a pastor or a different kind of spiritual leader and that people look to you. Mm. Um, and there are expectations of you because you hold that position of authority within your small group, within the Sunday school, within the church, within the denomination. Um, and I think that the being called, if there's a sense of calling to spiritual leadership, there can be an assumption that it's, while it's true that the Lord does do things to help us manage and be and fulfill what he has called us to. There are also some disciplines that we need to keep in our own lives as a reflection of that calling. And I have certainly encountered um, folks, Christian folks in particular, who 
do not attend to their own self-care, whether that is um, attend to their marriages, their families, their health, because they believe that, well, if God's called me, I haven't got to do any of that. So I can be have 24 appointments in a 24-hour day. I can run here and there and everywhere, and there's no impact on me. I don't think that's the model we have in Jesus, yeah. who, being God, <laughs> fully yeah. human and fully divine, did take time away. So I think that for spiritual leaders, there's something about looking at that model of Jesus and really trying to replicate or emulate his example as we try to be faithful in the tasks and relationships he set before us. And that sounds easier said than done. <laughs> so tell us, absolutely. How, like if you get someone in your office and they are, you know, at the end of their rope, how do you start dialing that back step by step? Um, well, I think first of all, if, if it's someone in my office, I have to show myself to be someone who's trustworthy and willing to listen. Um, I think there's the sort of the old joke, if you, know, if you see your pastor in the grocery store, that's not an invitation to go up and start asking the pastor about all the things that need to be done for this coming Sunday. <laughs> it might be a change, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or that, you know, pastors who might choose not to live in the manse, but actually would choose a home in a different neighborhood so they could actually have a little bit of separation between their work life and their family life. Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's a deep need to listen to our leaders because where do leaders go when they're struggling? Yeah, that's a problem. And that's a problem. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, is it okay to struggle as a leader or is the struggle a sign of somehow not being fully committed or perfect? Mm -hmm. Again, I don't think the call to leadership is about those who are perfect. I think it's the call of those who are willing. And then how do we, as the body of faith around those leaders, how do we actually encourage them to take breaks? How do we, um, with, you know, with the, like with the apostles, how do we also taking up the waiting on of tables so that we can free them up to do the things to which they've been called? It seems to me that um, the, the belief that we, by virtue of our calling, can be all things to the folks to whom we are called is wrong. Dare I say it? Wrong. And so how do leaders and those who are led get into a rhythm where we each take on our appropriate responsibilities? We are each involved in mutual encouragement, exhortation, even challenge, and that we work through the things that can befall us all because we are human. Mm -hmm. How do all these things of, you know, thinking that our pastors may have it all together and so on, um, does that add to that uh, pastors and their wives having this higher rate of depression than the general population that some studies have shown? Um, I would think so. Cause I, I, so for me, I'll just say this maybe first, that for me, depression can befall us all. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing special. <laughs> um, you know, lawyers can get depressed, doctors can get depressed. So I think there's that, that mm -hmm. somehow we are all, we all experience sunshine and rain. Okay. I think what makes it, what might make it difficult for spiritual leaders, for clergy in particular, is this idea that because they hold, that because they wear the collar, they somehow have a cloak of infallibility or impenetrability about them. And that's not, that's not true. 
Um, some of us have had very difficult upbringings. Some of us come into the world maybe a little bit more prone to melancholy. Others of us um, have never really been able to trust that someone else is there for us. And so the experience of any kind of mental health challenge, you're talking about depression in this mm -hmm. case, I think it's hard when there is this idea that because you are a person of faith, you are therefore impervious to, or it shouldn't throw you off your game as much, or somehow you can just bounce back, makes it more difficult for folks to actually talk about feeling a little blue, okay, to be heard, to receive support, and not to be seen as less than. Right. And then I think on the other side, depending upon your circles, we often have a story of victory that we like to tell one another, but we don't talk about the story of endurance. Right. <laughs> and it seems to me that more of us have a story of endurance than we do the suitcase of stories of victory. Yeah, yeah. So are you saying, Sharon, that if the spiritual leader um, is experiencing <laughs> mental health uh, challenges, mm -hmm. maybe depression specifically, that if they mm -hmm. actually are vulnerable about that at a certain point, maybe it's when they're out, out the other side, whatever's best for them, yes. I guess, that that can actually help people in their congregation. Absolutely. Because we, again, we all experience sunshine and rain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think there's something about this is what it is to be a human being in the world. Mm -hmm. We experience all kinds of things. I think what another example might be that some of us have to wear glasses. Others don't. But does wearing glasses mean that somehow somebody is spiritually impoverished or not living the faith? We need to go to the eye doctor, get that sorted, get some glasses and off you go. Right. Similarly, I would say with mental health issues, we can all fall susceptible. Yes, there are things we can do to kind of ensure that we are healthy, but sometimes we have these experiences. And so for a pastor to be able to come clean and say, this is what I've been dealing with, mm -hmm. can also encourage and might actually actually also encourage people in the congregation to acknowledge with close friends, with elders, whomever, that they're struggling and actually seek help. Yeah, That's not to exclude prayer, not to exclude having maybe accountability groups, who knows what, but it is to say that these things do happen and there is a way through. Mm -hmm. So how do we know when we need to take that extra step and go see someone like you, Sharon? I think one of the first signs might be when the things that we would normally do don't seem to work. Okay. So if, for example, um, we, I don't know, if we think someone who maybe is very good at going to the gym and that's sort of been part of their routine or somebody who has been very good about how they eat the rhythm of their day and they find themselves that, you know what, I don't actually want to go to the gym. Hmm. I actually don't have, food has no taste for me anymore. I'm not enjoying the things that I would usually enjoy. Um, and I've made some attempts. I've tried to go here and there and that nothing is working. That might be a sign, not that you need to be hospitalized, but that you might need a little additional observation or input from somebody else about what's going on for you. So I would say there's both an internal sort of radar. I'm not really feeling myself anymore. And then a reach for help. Sometimes that reach for help 
could be a trusted friend who's not afraid to tell you straight up (laughs) that that you've you've been off a bit. What's going on? It may involve your physician. It might be going to see your pastor or your your spiritual director. It may also involve speaking to a doctor or a mental health professional. But these are all the resources that we have at our disposal to be able to address those feelings of not quite being 100% earlier sooner rather than later, is something that's important. It may be nothing. It might be the fact that you actually haven't been eating very well, or it might be the sign of something greater. Wouldn't it be lovely to address those things as you come across them rather than leaving them not paying attention? Yeah. It feels to me like um, if, I think years ago, there might have been uh, more fear or maybe stigma around you know, going to see a therapist or a counselor, it feels to me like that has changed a lot. Is that right? Um, I think it depends on what you want to see. Okay. <laughs> what's, what's the thing you're facing? Hmm. So um, in some ways, it's easier to go and see a marriage counselor for tune-up okay. <laughs> than it is after many years of dissatisfaction or dysfunction in the relationship. Hmm. Um, in some ways, to talk about depression might be a little bit easier. Maybe your favorite sports star or singer or move or celebrity might have come forward with that. Um, I think it's easier to say something if you're in a group of friends where you're all kind of in a similar stage and so you can commiserate with one another. When things have been going on for a long time, that sense of dis-ease has been going on for some time and you've been able to mask it really well. But now it's getting harder to mask it. I think that's when it's often more difficult to reach out for help. Okay. Because then you yourself have to acknowledge, wow, this isn't simply about not liking my favorite type of coffee or tea. This is a really deep sense for me that I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about. Yeah. And time time to get help. <laughs> right. Right. Never mind trying to find the, a good fit. Yeah. And so on. I mean, there, I think there are a number of barriers aside from the awareness that something is off that can also influence people's choices to seek help. Just to shift gears as we wrap up, Sharon, um, I can't quite figure out uh, the role of smartphones in our lives now. <laughs> and I think that's a big issue for a lot of people. And when we're talking about um, spiritual leaders, for example, uh, setting boundaries on time and availability and all that sort of thing. Can you, do you have any advice or guidance on how we can tame that monster? Um, So I've seen this acronym around the city, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Right. Um, I think that's one part. So we have these very powerful machines in the palm of our hand that that can connect us with news from around the world at any moment, 24-7, 365 days of the year. If we happen to be active on social media, there's also the pressure to produce and have the newest, wittiest, most awe-inspiring video, quote, whatever, and then to get immediate feedback from those who follow us. I, um, I am not sure that that level of connectedness actually means that we have connection. Hmm. Um, it feels a little curated to me that we put out an image that we want other people to consume. And so I think about, um, you know, what what kind of information am I looking for? What do I need to be connected to? If something really, really, really important were to happen, how could someone get a hold of me? 
So it seems to me that our smartphones and laptops and iPads and all those things, they are really helpful tools that can also rule us. So, you know, do you have maybe working hours? And so I need to have this. If you have two phones, if you happen to need your work phone during work hours, great. Is it possible? Is it permitted? Is the other question to say that my work phone is on from 830 in the morning until 530 at night. Mm -hmm. And after that, it's off. And I do think that discipline of turning things off or at least no sound, not even vibrate, is a way that we can develop some discipline and open up some space for some other enjoyment. Um, I think there are certainly are studies that the more we have screen time, the more it messes, I believe this is right, with our brain waves and the ability to actually sort of motor down and go to sleep. So by constantly being at our screen, we keep ourselves in a level of vigilance, even hypervigilance, but doesn't allow us to rest properly. Yeah. So I appreciate there's a huge news cycle <laughs> and I appreciate that folks have to be connected. And there's something really wonderful, like when we go on vacation and we don't buy the data plan, so we can't look at our phones. <laughs> there's something really wonderful. Okay, now you're <laughs> about, going too far. <laughs> <laughs> there's something really wonderful about a sunset or just talking with your kids or hanging yes. out with your spouse or your friends yeah. that really doesn't get replicated yeah. by likes. And I think we could maybe make some more space for that real connection. Sharon, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Karen. It's a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.